This show discusses serious and often disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. During this episode, I made a reference to a Charlie Chaplin video, and I really meant to say Buster Keaton. So anytime you hear Charlie Chaplin, please think Buster Keaton. Enjoy the show. I myself am strange and unusual. You sick Roblox, you've seen one too many hours. Whatever you saw or did <laughs> is no longer my concern. But let's be clear, it won't end well. We thought that could be like a new uh, Patreon segment, Things Jazz Cries At. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Things Jazz Ugly Cries At. The first five minutes of up. um, Slide on the floor. I could join in on that podcast. That's so awful. Yeah. Let's see. We've got the first five minutes of up. We have the ending of the KFC spaceship episode of Community. That (laughs) makes me cry. Um, We have the first 10 minutes of Hobo with a Shotgun. That's true. I've never finished that movie. I've never seen that movie. As soon as I get to the lawnmower scene, I can't can't do it anymore. The hardware scene, I guess. Yeah, she breaks down. I cry on the floor in a little like sad ball. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I watch horror, so I don't have to feel my emotions. (laughs) Because my emotions are painful. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, aren't they all? People are like, how can you watch horror? It's so graphic. I'm like, yeah, I don't have to feel sad all the time. <laughs> watch um, someone get killed and it feels okay. <laughs> I've never cried before. I don't know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely I believe that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. Lizzie, are you a Terminator? Uh, I might be. <laughs> I'm I mean, not you're the friendliest successful. Terminator yeah. I've ever met. It. I'll give you that. Um, and I guess with that, uh, thanks for listening to What's Wrong With Us this week. Welcome. What's Wrong With Us is a podcast that asks the question, <laughs> how fast would you have to run to break garrot wire with your face? <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I mean, pretty fast. The answer is just regular fast. Faster than she was running, I think, is the question. I think she said she could run three miles in 23 minutes. Somebody did the math. Which is not divide by three. Somebody get slash R slash they did the math in here. It's six six minutes. She can run more than a six-minute mile. I mean, that's pretty fast. Pretty fast. That's fast. I'm James. I'm also James. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Jazz. Uh, So today we're talking about... Slasher tropes in the context of how they play out in Adam Wingard's 2011 Home Invasion Slaughterfest, Your Next. Uh, in Your Next, a young college student, played by Sharni Vincent, accompanies her boyfriend, played by A.J. Bowen, Yay! to his parents' <laughs> house in rural Missouri, and nothing else happens. End <laughs> of movie. They all have a nice dinner and it was go home. It's really pleasant. It is so pleasant, and it's weird that we're talking about it. Um, what actually happens is they are set upon by a bunch of animal mask wearing cold blooded killers who methodically stalk and murder pretty much everyone. Just about. Just about everyone. Uh, except for one 
last female, a final girl, if you will. Um, Somebody should use that. God, I mean, that should be a thing. Um, It's really, really catchy. (laughs) So this movie is a very by-the-numbers slasher movie, and it is a really good, you know, really good in that genre, and I really enjoy it. Uh, but what did you guys think about your next? I liked it a lot. I thought it was, um, it had a good kind of mix of like fairly dark humor. You know, I've seen some things on the internet, even call it a horror comedy, which I think might be a stretch, but yeah, I mean, it didn't take itself as seriously as a lot of kind of slasher movies do. I feel like. And I was here for it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely give it points for not taking itself seriously. If this movie was self-serious, I don't know if I'd like it at all. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think just having one character who is just ultra competent yeah. already is is very out of character for the genre. And so um, I enjoyed it just for that. Yeah, I think we. I was saying this off mic, but um, she's like the most Warren Ellisy character because... Warren Ellis, the comic book writer, likes to write all of his characters as completely hyper-competent and, you know, wellsprings of obscure information. And Aaron, played by Sharni Vincent, is absolutely that. Yeah, definitely. So I really like Your Next. It's been my favorite movie for a while now. And I, the thing I like the most about it is that it is hyper-competent. I see why someone might say it is a horror comedy because it just doesn't feel like normal horror and my argument or pushback on that would be I feel like it's a it's like a, a faux meta horror because she knows what's going on, she knows what all the next moves are, but mm-hmm. doesn't actually like reveal the tropes because she is still in the movie without breaking the fourth wall. Sure. And I I also just really love this movie because it does a lot to work with the medium of just um the visual medium and, mm-hmm. and the film medium. So there's a lot of really fun visual tricks we get in this movie with light and dark and depth and up and down. Yeah, like what? Um, so, I mean, hiding them behind the curtains, right? That's a really fun thing mm-hmm. because in a flat world, nothing exists behind the curtains. And there there is a thing there. And it's her. And also in the horror world, the thing that exists behind the curtains is the villain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the end of the movie, it's her. Yep. And and there's a lot of other instances that I'm sure we're going to get into as we kind of go along. I did a lot of, I didn't do a lot of research. I did a quick look at. <laughs> a lot of research. <laughs> a lot of a five minute Wikipedia search. I watched a 12 minute video from Every Frame of Painting about Charlie Chapman's humor in a flat world comedy. Is he related to Charlie Chaplin That's what at I all? was trying to say. <laughs> um, but so, yeah. I like I, Charlie I, Chapman though. It's like his, you know. Uh, lesser known <laughs> yeah, the brother. movie version it's like <laughs> he has like second cousin who is doing you know the same thing but three years later he had to change his name for copyright infringement yeah exactly like maybe they were named the same yeah Charlie Chaplin was notoriously litigious <laughs> I I, th- I think that's actually right I, that, yeah, I, I think he got sued a lot yeah so if that means that he, I knew that I know that On he's like you know I think maybe we're talking about I think we've both listened listened to enough. Um, you must remember this to know a little bit about Charlie yeah. Chaplin, yeah. and I remember um, her talking about how he was really nervous about his money 
So that makes me think that he was probably litigious. That's fair. Yeah. And he had some children, maybe. One or two, maybe. <laughs> he, I mean, at least not, Una Chaplin. Yeah, is, that's true. Uh, that's real. His granddaughter. Yeah. <laughs> I liked this movie. I sometimes think that I don't like home invasion movies. Sure. I'm Any like, particular reason? Oh, well, they're just boring. They're all the same. They all kind of like, you know, they have a family eating dinner. Dinner goes horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of murders happen, and mm-hmm. then there's a twist, mm-hmm. and then more murders happen, and then there's one person that walks away. But, you know, nonetheless, like, um, the formula is always entertaining for me. Sure. Um, so I liked, we watched Hush recently, and I liked that. Yeah. I thought it was fun. And I think Your Next is also similarly fun. Um, the twist in this one, well, both of them, I think. Both twists? Yeah. I, I liked because the final girl, Erin, mm-hmm. she's great. She's the best. <laughs> she's wonderful. She's got like, she keeps it cool. She's like not interested in doing the stupid shit everybody else wants to do. And she obviously stays home and thinks about <laughs> who's going to break into her house and what she would do if they did. And yeah. on, on top of not wanting to do all the stupid shit that everyone suggests to do, she tells them why to not do it. Yeah. yeah. She says, we're not going to go in the basement because you can just flood it with gas and set us on fire. <laughs> or, you know. Yeah. yeah, I thought that scene was hilarious. You know, and, <laughs> and as we all discussed in Hush, you don't pull the crossbow arrow out. No, she was right. And she, she was said, right. you don't do it. And yep. then when, you know, schmucko comes, gets, an arrow, gets like, around no, yeah, she says doesn't do it, and then he like blacks out and comes back around and rips it out and immediately passes out again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? yep. <laughs> like, except that's she, what you do. She did pull that gigantic shard of glass out of her leg. Yeah, yeah. and I was like, you but, know better. Well, that yeah. she also, that she also tried a, tied there? a tourniquet right after that. Right? Yeah, for she sure. Did. But but still, still. That she did break her own rule. That was also just like an unrealistically large piece of glass. I mean, I guess I you do have to run away, but I would. I don't know. Would you? I mean, it looked like an old house. It was probably not shatter glass. Like, yeah, not you know. safety glass. But I don't, she came at it like really flat and like I don't. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I'm just gonna say that like there I, are. I, I can't remember the last time I jumped through a plate glass window. Sure. Um, I can. So I can't speak. <laughs> <laughs> I was I mean, five. Lizzie, Ooh. Lizzie, are you a Terminator? <laughs> the jury's out. <laughs> the evidence tell. is really piling up. <laughs> <laughs> also, I thought that scene where she jumped out of the window was also hilarious. Wasn't it? Great. It was amazing. Well, and then throw the hammer, and I'm fucking out. Yep. <laughs> well, it's funny. So then I, the other day, I also just binge watched Unbelievable, which is a Netflix docudrama. I guess I want to call it. It's yeah, sh- it's a docudrama. Yeah, it's a short series about drama. a young woman who got raped, and then they didn't believe her, and then it was a serial rapist, and then they caught. The guy and then they apologized to her. Oh, this like just came out, right? Yeah, yeah. it just came out, and yeah. Yeah, it just got Tony Collette in it, who rules. Yeah, everyone's in this movie cool. or show, whatever. I watched it like right. a movie because I'm a child and I have popcorn, and I can do those <laughs> things. But in that in that series, there was one victim mm-hmm. who her response was to immediately just jump out the window. Oh, and I thought that was like a nice, and this was based on like a real incident where this <laughs> young woman apparently did. Yeah. Did not see an option between getting raped and jumping out a window. That was the only 
Dan cracking the only her two pelvis scenarios. And, like, and so, yeah, she jumped out a window and fell like belly flopped onto like a cement Yikes. patio, which is, you know, maybe a little more realistic than Aaron doing a good job and running. Yeah. But I still like that it did bring that realism back around. It's like yeah. some people just make that choice to jump out a window. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw this movie. Spoiler, this isn't the first time we've ever seen it. Um, Wait, what? The, uh, I'm sorry to break the fourth wall like that. Um, the <laughs> That's the twist of this podcast. Yeah. Is none of us have ever watched a horror movie before this. And every movie we talk about, we've, we're watching for the first it's time. True. Um, yeah. uh the first time i saw this movie i remember loving it simply because aaron is so competent and she does literally exactly what i would want a character to do in that situation and um i remember like audibly yelling at the screen several times thankfully this wasn't in the theater um you know, like hell yes, fuck yeah, all that kind of things. <laughs> like, because she does every single one of those things, and, and um, even when her plans go wrong, like she goes to throw the oil in his face, but it's already cooled down, so she just throws the pan at him. Yeah, and you're like, Yay! Yeah. yeah, she adapts. Like she's fucking so good. She's hyper competent. I love it. Yeah, it's poetic like that. Yeah. I can tell you about my favorite weapon. She did. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I think not like. Um, so she definitely kills people in a lot of inventive, crazy ways from like, you know, her meat tenderizing hammer to <laughs> the, uh, uh, the pan with the oil in it to like whatever the fuck is laying around. Um, so what's your favorite way that she oh, murders somebody? I, I hope I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I, like, have, ba- I have a favorite. It's great. It's basically, it's like the newlywed game. Like write yeah. it down and oh, then show us. Right. We, should, we should guess. Um, <laughs> we're going to do this. We're doing okay. it. It's going to make really good audio content. I know. Cause you're going to hear <laughs> crumpling paper and go. people reading. Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm the writing. best way of experiencing this. Okay, so I think James's favorite is the the doorway axe with the brick on it. Shit, no, I, we totally. I wrote the blender. Oh no, I would never choose that. <laughs> I fucking loved the blender. No, that was so terrible. It was great. The blender's fucking oh, great. Dude, what do you mean? The blender. The only part I liked about that is when someone asked, like, "Oh, where's blah blah? He's dead. How would he die? Oh, like I put his I head stuck in a blender. blender. Yeah, I stuck yeah. a blender in his head. See, that's fucking perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When Adam Wingard's character comes back. Yeah. The yeah. so is good. Too, oh no, though. that's AJ Bowen. AJ Bowen. I'm sorry. When A.J. Bowen's character, Chris Bain, comes back. The board and nails, because that's just a classic. You got that around. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just whip it up. Smash someone in the head with it. Oh, fuck. Like the the scene where he like puts his fucking heel into it. Yeah. Oh, God, that hurts. It hurts to watch. And so that perfectly goes into this idea of like flat world comedy. So I was watching um, Every Frame of Painting, Uh which is. Shout outs. Shout outs. We, We watch that so we can talk better about movies. Um, the series is no longer in production, but the episodes still exist. So I watched the episode about Charlie Chaplin, and it was. <laughs> I think you mean Charlie Chapman. Yeah, I, you mean I know they might have done some Charlie Chapman. Oh, no. His movies weren't as widely appreciated, though. No, confused. So the episode was on Charlie Chaplin and his humor, and so uh, the way he 
structured all of his humor was in the concept of flat world. So in the flat world, there is up, down, forward, and back, Uh um, and then towards camera and away from camera. But you only interact with what the camera, what the viewer is looking at. And so anything that's off screen isn't happening. Mm -hmm. And so I think the board does that really well, right? Because he looks through the window and in flat world comedy, right? He sees the second board. He goes, I'm not going to step on that. (laughs) And then immediately steps on the first one that he can't see. And we all know it's there because we've seen it in the beginning. But imagine for some reason we didn't know it was there. Like this adds that kind of layer of like unknown, unseen humor. So it doesn't exist until it exists. This could be a good silent movie. I think it could yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of other moments in that where, um, so I really liked it with um, the neighbor who was dead on the couch. Sure. Uh-huh. And she's right. She's screaming at him and wants his help. And, and, he, and to her, he is not dead until she's like on top of him. Yeah. You know, she yeah. like can't understand why he's not answering the door. Like, yeah, of course he's, Schrodinger's he's fucking corpse. dead. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, totally. But but it goes into this kind of thing. It's like it's not real until you've seen it because we have depth. And so since he's facing away from the camera, uh-huh. like we all know the joke because he's already dead. Yeah. Quote unquote joke. And then, you know, and so when the camera turns, so I guess we're adding like, you know, 360 degrees and camera rotations to the flat world idea because it's the future. <laughs> you know, we see he's dead, and then this is revealed, and this is the punchline. Sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know that joke. And um, there's another one that's really good with under the bed, where mm. she looks yeah. under the bed, and since it's dark under the bed, she can't see anything. Mm-hmm. There's nothing there until he comes into the light. So he comes towards the camera, and so we get that sight gag. Um, and then again with her running through the woods. Yeah. And she's running through the woods after she's jumped out of the window and she sits. And then when she looks over, she finds, um, was it the knife that she stabbed the other guy with? It was like a uh, screwdriver, I think. Yeah, it was like one of the weapons she had assaulted one of the mask-wielding maniacs with. Mm-hmm. And um, acknowledge like, oh, now I am in danger. Yeah. And that, that place was safe until she, she was in danger. Yeah. And so I, after watching this and watching that, video I realized that these types of sight devices are really important in horror and sure. I'm really excited to start noticing them yeah I think that kind of uh, that speaks to how good of a filmmaker Adam Wingard is and you know his use of visual storytelling right and like how um, he uses those to kind of like lead the audience through um, one of the things that other things that I really liked about this movie is that it's not too long in addition to the fact that it doesn't take itself seriously, that it doesn't overstay its welcome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That like yeah. 90 minutes-ish, and that's like, we're good. Right. And so I yeah. think it keeps moving too, though, because he doesn't just rely on, you know, smash cut, smash cut, tell story, you know, exposition, exposition, exposition. Like, we have a lot of visual movement. We have a lot of quiet moments. We have a lot of lead into things, which are really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so the other thing from the Every Frame of Painting video was apparently Charlie Chaplin was notorious for only doing something once. And so if they couldn't make the timing of these like really, really, really complicated pranks, which would involve him like jumping off buildings and jumping on trains and stuff, <laughs> yeah. which are really dangerous. Yeah. Um, but if they couldn't succeed the first take, he wouldn't. He would just cut it and be like, we'll do something else then. Weird. Because it needed to look real and yeah. not rehearsed and be whatever. And um, there's even like a, a fun thing where – 
you know, a gag turns into a different gag because it doesn't go right. And I, I don't, I doubt that they did that kind of one take or nothing with this movie, mm-hmm. but so much of it felt right. Like when they were running through the dining room, holding the chairs as shields and then Aaron's shields get shot. It was such a perfect mark. It felt like it was moving. It didn't felt like it was done over and over and over to death. Mm-hmm. You know, it felt really natural and smooth. And so a lot of those things, however they mastered it in this particular movie, really helped to move the story and the plot along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it might be because you're because you're talking about Charlie Chaplin or that it the movie was a little funny, but this all the 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 direction and the blocking, it felt a little bit like a slapstick comedy. Yeah. You know? Totally. Yeah. And it could it could easily just be a funny movie, like Right. I mean even like you know, even the blender and that yeah. part is the blender scene. Exactly. You know, like the oil in the face. They they put a lot of comedy into people dying, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty good. Like maybe I'm just I mean, not maybe. I'm definitely an awful person, but Yeah, we have a podcast uh, where we talk about people dying. But yeah, like when uh the brother who has orchestrated everything is like stabbing the older brother with a bunch of screwdrivers Mm -hmm. and like kind of comically like, "Uh, you're making this so hard on me. Just die. (laughs) It's it's like, okay. Yeah. 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 But then, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's ridiculous. No, it's, it's really ridiculous. And I think, um, that is one of the movie's strengths really Mm -hmm. like, because, um, Another thing that this reminds me of randomly is when we watched Teeth, we had a long discussion, you and I, about horror versus comedy. And Mm -hmm. a lot of it was centered around, you know, Shaun of the Dead, Uh, whether that movie is a parody or something else. Uh Um, And I think this movie is a really good example of a, whereas Teeth is, I think, a, uh, and I still think this, a comedy movie with kind of horror and body horror elements this is the exact opposite of that it is a full-blown slasher home invasion horror movie that plays all of its horrific elements for laughs i I would almost say it's a horror movie that does comic relief effortlessly so i always go back to um don't breathe which is that um Oh God! And all of Fede Alvarez's movies. Oh my God! That, so it's the reverse <laughs> home invasion movie they with get the, in his house. the vision impaired yeah. man, and it's just goes to. Did shit we watch with... that with you guys? I forget who we saw that with. <gasps> no, but it was on the list. Yeah, we watched it. I on was the really. List. Oh, I'm sorry. I yeah. forgot. I I really didn't want to put that on the list <laughs> that year. And I'm I think very it into, got mathed into the list. Yeah, I'm very into um, damn you math algorithms <laughs> to do that list to yeah. make them very fair. It's fine. I like and it. So yeah, some honestly, things get on it that James wants to like throw off, and I'm like, no, nope, yeah, because I just said, didn't want like a movie where somebody is you know threatened to be raped with a turkey baster full of yeah, cum. And I hate that movie. And I thought that was and like he didn't gross. Watch it and, but yeah. so it is gross. Yeah, That's, yeah. that For, is fair. For as much as that movie jumps the shark. My number one complaint with that movie is how tense it is. So yeah. I remember we went and saw it in the theaters. And when we left. I felt like I just had a panic attack. When we left, I um, and I got to like, you know, come back to real life and check in with my body. My chest hurt and my hands <laughs> hurt. And I realized through the whole movie, I was clenching my whole body super tight because I was just really stressed out. And so good horror also needs relief. Because you get tense and you get scared. So you either need moments that are slow or moments that are funny or moments that, you know, just let you like 
relax and feel safe again because then the next time it's stressful it's even more stressful yeah right because then you have like a heightened state and and so i think the way that your next plays comic relief into all of the murders right when you're supposed it's to be the big, most the murders, stressed right? out it's a little bit the family relationship but it's also the murder the family relationship is, is tough and realistic but they they work so much comedy into it and so much just like oh okay you just got decapitated but it's kind of cute and well yeah like that speaking of so the scene that um i think you're talking about the scene where she runs out the door so that scene is hilarious for a couple of different reasons um the first thing is so it, it starts off with they have a huge fucking fight about it because they're all panicking and the daughter played by uh amy Seamitz. so as a really quick aside there's a lot of people that are indie filmmakers in this that yeah, are just like yeah, Ty, play, West, Ty West plays her boyfriend that gets shot in the face. Um, yeah, totally. And she's also. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And then the guy that wears the tiger mask is the person who wrote the screenplay of this yep. movie. Yep. So. And then AJ Bowen has been in a few more like culty horror things. Plus the mom. Barbara yeah, oh, yeah. Obviously oh, yeah. Barbara Crampton. How could we not <laughs> yes. say anything about her? Uh, Barbara Crampton's cream queen extraordinaire. Totally. And, and that goes to the idea From such it... movies as Reanimator and From Beyond and Chopping Mall. I mean, just. Oh, Chopping Mall. Almost. I, I, I was looking at her uh, IMDb page and it's entirely horror movies and soap, soap operas. operas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Dude. like all of the major soap operas for an extended run. Yup. And then just a shit ton of horror movies. I fucking amazing. love her commitment to that. She's just like, this is my fucking jam. Totally. I don't want to have to. I'm not here for Shakespeare. I'm not here <laughs> to do any heavy lifting. I'm I under my your illusions. Yeah. yeah. This is all play acting. We're playing with fucking dolls. It's no big deal. Fucking let's go for it. Yeah. And, I, and I think her being in the movie is another big nod to it being like a not meta meta horror movie yeah right they're yeah. very aware of what's happening and they're very aware of what they're doing and they're very aware of what it looks like and so even though they're not going to like draw attention to it you know they know it's there and they have written and acted the movie in a way that they know it's there so it's not as much as cabin in the woods or something when Gordon weaver walks in like and that, yeah. you know gives the whole plot away at the end oh, this is what we're but it's <laughs> it's in that ballpark yeah, yeah, and I think any any director that casts Barbara Crampton knows that that's like a loaded casting, and is like trying yeah. to say something about it. Like <laughs> there was that movie that we saw last year; it might have been on the list, but um, it was about like a VHS board game that was haunted. Oh, yeah, I used to actually play those the games gates. When I was a kid. That's the gates. right, or Beyond the Gates, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> that was fun. And it's like a Barbara Crampton your... played the narrator on the VHS nice. tape. Yeah, so it's a choose-your-own-adventure VHS tape. So it's I like, like it. you watch it, you pause it, it tells you to do something, you do it, then you turn it back on, and you watch the next <laughs> part, and it's like whatever. But it's haunted, yeah. so it's But this like one's haunted, so it's, so it's Jumanji. Ooh, I want to I play it. Oh, man. Uh, Beyond the Gates. Beyond yeah, the Gates, yeah. So I guess the other thing this movie does that I had thought really deeply about was, to me, because we kind of talk about, like, what's the real-life horror elements of this movie? And to me, it's the family. It's, yeah. I hate my family. If Midsommar is a breakup movie, this is a movie about seeing your family yeah, and like holidays with your family. 
Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so they're going home. Everyone's like kind of uncomfortable. They all have like snide, quippy things to say about each other. No one seems to fit well together. And one of the things that I picked up on really well is Crispin. So the yeah. the lead character betrayer whatever Mm -hmm. he gets in this like really shitty fight with his older brother yeah and they're like in their 40s having this really shitty fight but me and my sister are not far off of those age brackets and every time we see each other we fall into like these really nasty sibling roles where we bicker and get in you know and when we're not together i'm a competent wonderful adult and she's a competent wonderful adult the second we're in a room together, we just like act like we're 10 and fight and like, she pulled my hair, don't look at me, stop touching me. <laughs> and and we've even called each other out on it. It's like yeah. you're doing the thing where you're picking on me like a big sister, stop it. You're doing the thing where you're reacting to me like a little sister, stop it. And and so this movie had so much like cringy tension for me mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, you know what that feels like? And I just want to stress eat. <laughs> yeah, I kept, maybe it's because I watched... I've been watching a lot of Succession, but this family gives the uh, their family dynamics really remind me of the family dynamics of that family. Um, We watched the first episode of that, and then couldn't really keep going after that. I not couldn't, we just haven't. I mean, that's fair. I think it's. uh, I really the first episode, if I remember correctly, like a lot of first episodes, is you know a little rough around the edges, Mm -hmm. and the first season is not. The first season like uses its uh, musical uses its theme music for every musical cue essentially, <laughs> really? and yeah, it gets okay. really fucking old. But the story is interesting, and the yeah the the characters are all great. But the the Davidson family is similar. They're like all rich. They all fucking hate each other. The brother and um, what is it? The older brother was Drake. Drake, the older brother. And um, Crispin, the younger brother, have like a very similar dynamic that like, you know, the successful older sibling has with the unsuccessful younger sibling. And I think, you know, it's really relatable insofar as they they're kind of like toxic family dynamic is kind of played out in this way. I mean, it's obviously toxic because two of them are planning on murdering the family. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just a little toxic. Uh, I thought that it was quite obvious he was the murderer. So it I was, mean, it, it's he sucks. Like, yeah, really, really a lot. He he reminded me a lot of Christian in Midsommar, right? Um, a little bit, yeah. Because like yeah. he just is like a smarmy, like like skeezy dude. Yeah, kind of like uh, it feels like even though I mean they're talking about his research and his fellowship right. <laughs> and stuff, so it seems like he's kind of like a an academic who sort of got legacied into that role or something, but he's not really that smart because he never had to actually do it because his parents are rich. And mm, I mean, he's a fail son. Yeah. Is this movie anti-capitalist? <laughs> Probably. Well, they do, they do say that in the car ride up when she discovers uh-huh. his family is like a war profiteering family. Yeah. They're like defense contractors. Yeah. And war profiteering. Um, <laughs> family and she gets like super disgusted and he's like it's fine whatever like it's annoying I don't like it either and then at the end he flips it again and he's like oh well you know we just killed everyone right they had dirty money and we're just gonna get their money and do good things with it it's okay and it's and so I you know I think it's 
it's very capitalistic, but because we live in a capitalistic world, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's funny to me that he thinks he's charming at the end. <laughs> right. And he's like, I'm just going to use my wits for this argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, shut up. Yeah. I yeah. think all of us were having that reaction, right? And that's why part of the reason why that scene is so great is because the whole time he's talking as the audience, we're sitting there being like, shut the fuck up, dude. Nobody yep. cares. Yeah. You are a lying sack of shit. We see right through you. <laughs> She's like, stab him with the ice pick. And Do she it. does, right in the yep. fucking <laughs> eye? Neck? Yeah, eyeball. She stabs him right in the eyeball. I think eyeball. She, get, she gets both, right? Like she stabs She's like, boop, boop. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. elegant. Yeah. It was elegant murders in this movie. She knew what she was doing. Mm-hmm. So wait, we, we, we kind of didn't finish the whole... Um, favorite murder scene because oh, we've got right, right, right. we've got uh, James well, Blender Blender yes Lizzie Axe Axe Door Axe Door and Jazz what's your favorite oh, um I don't know I so it's not actually a murder scene but it's the scene that I can't stop thinking about and it's where she stabs his hand into the window frame. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When she first gets That's attacked. It was yeah. just so boss. But then it also like leaves. Two things happen to me with that scene. So he gets away, right? But to get away, he has to cut himself on broken glass because you need some yeah, force to right. rip that out. Yeah. Yep. And so yep. that's great. And then it becomes like this ominous hole in the window for the rest of the movie that she's uh-huh. very stressed out about. It's right. like the moment she almost died. Yeah. It's the, the moment she should have lost yeah. mm-hmm. but didn't and I so that's my favorite even though it's not a real murder yeah <laughs> I think my favorite murder in the movie is her first murder with, and with the the meat tenderizer with the meat tenderizer oh, yeah, that was pretty super good it's bonkers. so bonkers yeah. <laughs> and it immediately flips the script on you know, it's like a very, I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Moment. Totally. Like, um, is she Rorschach? She might be Rorschach. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, except less of a Nazi. Yeah, well, there's that. <laughs> She's Australian. Sorry, if everybody that was rooting for Rorschach and Watchmen, uh, re examine. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> re examine that book, please. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> but she really does. Like, she beats the fuck out of that guy and with like precision like, oh yeah takes him to the cleaners yeah does, I, does anyone I mean, just want to like have a knife though in their hands <laughs> we can pass them around uh, wait, is it, has the podcast progressed to that point is this some is this a suicide <laughs> pact <laughs> perhaps now we're gonna protect each other this is good though because i can be like Whoosh. i have this really long like <laughs> cord i can just like strangle someone with it yeah totally. i'm not i'm I've, okay, I've got nothing i've got a, a shield in this chair yeah. i'm sitting in i guess <laughs> I do I do really like that murder too though. Yeah, cuz I mean, I feel like so often those scenes it's like real back and forth and like whoever ends up on mm-hmm. top ends up just as fucked up pretty mm-hmm. much. But no. Aaron's like, hm, "Nah. I'm gonna kill you real quick. I got this." I, I yeah. Think she is a little <laughs> mentally ruined after it. Yeah. yeah. And I think also in a different slasher movie, right? Like either she would have died or he would have had the upper hand the entire time, yeah, right? Exactly. Like, right. It would have, to your point, like in most horror movies, part of what makes them scary is building up their villains to be unstoppable, which they do a little tiny bit and they kind of fake you out with it in this movie, uh-huh. right? Yeah, right? exactly. I mean, it, it's just putting Aaron on a relatively even playing field, you know? Yep. And, oh man, it's so much better for it. Mm-hmm. 
Do you think this couple actually knew each other well enough to meet the parents? Oh, yeah, that's an interesting question. <laughs> we talked about that a little bit. Um, where Because she, he didn't know anything about her background. And yeah, she totally. didn't know anything about his family. Yeah. It was so funny when she specifically was like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell him that I grew up on a survivalist compound in the outback. <laughs> I yeah. mean, why would you? Uh, it's a little I weird. Don't know. I was saving that for later. Yeah, I was saving that for weird. our wedding night. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's like a, a year or two in kind of conversation. Yeah. But um, that's, I mean, I think that's what you're asking, right? Like, which comes first, meeting the parents or finding out that you kind of had a fucked up childhood where you learned how to murder people and like survive? So that I had this problem, too. So <laughs> I, I was really concerned as the movie started. Um, and I was also really worried about rewatchability since yeah. I knew the twist. And, it, and at first I felt like the rewatchability was not good. And then it got better because it's just, a you know, the movie doesn't linger. So yeah. it's fun to watch. Um, but so I did really pay attention to little things like that. And I did have a question about that immediately. And then they make the point that it's their parents' 30th wedding anniversary. So it's an event. And so sometimes like you just just bring your partner. You just need a date. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's wedding. You know, James had never met any of my family. I was like, come to my brother's wedding. Um, James and I had known each other for two months. And he's like, come to Christmas. uh, Why not? Why not? And I was like, (laughs) okay. Has it only been it had been like three or four it, months. It irrelevant. Um, but it's just that point. Like there's some functions that you just like need a date for. Yeah. And you're like, well, I'm not going to invite anyone else. So might as well. <laughs> and I felt like the same way with Z. I felt like no one knew her. And the same way with Ty West's character. Yeah. Um, oh, which yeah. Which was like totally. also something like Ty. They're just all. <laughs> His name was like I Ty think or it's Taj. Tariq or something. Tariq. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah Tariq, they, they kept yeah. it very similar. And He's, the same thing, like the the only the only person they seemed to know was the eldest brother's wife, and that's because yeah. it was his wife. Totally. Yeah. But none of the other significant others seemed like they were just meeting for the very first yeah. time. And so, who knows yeah. how long they had been together? It's just like I have been, I am with you now, and I'm going to an event, and you are coming, and there will be booze and food. Sounds good. Yeah, let's go there. <laughs> I'd like to do that and go there. Well, and in. In Felix and Z's case, I mean, they knew each other well enough to craft a, a like murder plot to like get his parents' inheritance. Right, like she was in on the plot. So she was way uh, more dude, into it than he she was. was. So yeah. into it, I loved how much of a creep she was. I think she was let's a real fuck creep. Let's fuck next to your dead mom. <laughs> he was like, no, fuck what? He's like, I will murder my mom. I will not have sex I will on draw top of. the line there. This is where That's I draw weird. the line. Yeah. Thank you. Felix gives me the vibe of and this is like in my extended universe of the situation. <laughs> right. In the your next cinematic universe. Yeah. So Felix gives me the vibe of some like doofy weird rebellious kid doing things outside of his comfort level. So yeah. he's gone to like some pretty gnarly goth clubs and he's like <laughs> whatever and trying all the things doing all the drugs and so he met this girl and she's kind of out there a little too much and i almost want to blame the whole thing on her i bet she was just like (laughs) what if you like killed your whole family and took their money and he just hates his family enough to be like yeah that could be cool yeah i'm into that and then he like is a, a pansy and he doesn't know how to do it so he calls his brother is confidant and he's like what if we killed our parents and he's like yeah i need money and and that's just like how i feel like the whole thing went down it, it is sort of interesting to think about how um 
Crispin actually got involved. Like, Z and Felix kind of make sense. Like, they seem more outsider than Crispin. Crispin, I mean, obviously has issues with his family, but, like, are Felix and Crispin that close that they're like, Yo, hey, man, we murder our mom. let's I, kill our parents. I think Crispin's just broke. Well, I also think it. that Crispin is just a fucking douche. And he's like yeah. a go with yeah. the flow douche. He seems like a weenie. Their whole family just feels like soft personalities and yeah. can be easily influenced. Except if- Drake. Drake seems like the alpha yeah, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. But even then, the he was like kind of a jerk. Oh, he was totally yeah, a, he douche, was a total jerk. But <laughs> yeah. Well, and then like the scene where um, they get into that fight right before she tries to run through the door. The the daughter like is melting down in the background before people t- pay attention to her. She's like, yeah. "You guys never give me credit for anything. You guys never do boop boop." And like, they finally pay attention to her, and it's a uh, fucking right. Well, yeah. it's Felix that talks her into running for it. Oh, totally. Of course it is. Like, yeah, no, it's a hundred percent Felix. Who's like, "Oh yeah, dude, you should totally run through the door." Yeah, you gotta <laughs> run full speed so they don't hit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep, yeah. They won't Don't expect even look. You. Just run full fucking speed. Yeah, exactly. Also, he's the one who looks out the window directly like, okay. to this fucking piano wire or whatever that's like yeah. in the light. Oh, right, he's standing right there in the he's, door, opening he's it right there at the door. Also, he, I mean. The dad is right there too, and the dad was looking at his daughter the whole time. He didn't look. Yeah, he's pretty stressed out. Was the mom dead by then? No, no. no. The mom dies after directly after. That's why she. The mom lies down. Yeah, because she watches watches her daughter get decapitated. By far, this was the most frustrating scene. It's just like you're gonna do what? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Charney's character is just like Aaron is just like no, no. no, Why would you do this? This is a terrible idea. Stay together. We need to sit down. Get out of the window. Run out the front door. Are you kidding me? Well, it's also like it goes to show. It further, you know, strengthens uh, Aaron's competency. Yeah, because she spends the entire scene and the lead up to it being like, "Please don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't do this. It's a bad yeah. idea. You guys, a bad idea. You guys, a bad idea. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it." <laughs> and what happens? Uh, something bad. <laughs> something really horrible. It really happens. is kind of the scene that like strengthens her resolve that this family is fucking useless, and yeah. the <laughs> only way any of them are going to survive is if they follow her lead. Pretty much. Right. right. And that's why she is. The final girl. Yeah. The final girl. The alpha final girl. The alpha final girl. Hmm. I think we're going to have to get into that a little bit. Are we? Yeah. I think it sounds good. I may need another fucking beer. I think let's get another beer. Let's uh, let's dive into it. Hey. So we were dancing around it a little bit. And we've talked about the idea of a final girl in other shows. Um. But the uh, trope of the final girl really was outlined in a 1992 book by Carol Clover called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which is a feminist viewing of horror cinema. And she introduces the idea of the final girl as the female survivor who outfights and outlasts her killer. Can I just say I'm really sad that she didn't use either of the titles we've come up with in the show, which are <laughs> laughing all the way down. I don't or, remember that one. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, uh, or beyond misogyny. Beyond misogyny, I <laughs> oh, remember. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Laughing and all the way down was uh, the, the Linus Roach Mandy story. Line, yeah. Oh, right. The Linus Roach story. We will come up with many, <laughs> many more of your thesis titles. Yeah. Keep listening. We are here... Those two are up for grabs. If you use one, 
uh, a couple bucks on Patreon would be cool. Yeah, just put us in your um, audio citation. But um, so she's the female survivor who outwits and outlasts and outfights her killer. And her sort of justification for that is that she kind of goes on to talk about how cinema, especially horror cinema, is from a traditionally male perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're shocked to hear that, ladies. <laughs> where male characters are subjects, female characters are objects, and it is unique to the final girl in horror movies that she becomes more masculine by the end of the movie. And you can notice this in some of the final girls that I'm about to talk about. Mm-hmm. And that it her presence allows horror movies specifically to kind of move past that kind of like traditional gender binary. What the real interesting thing that she says is that it forces men to identify with women and that takes like the traditional sadism of identifying with the killer and flips it on its head with the masochism of identifying with the victim and she kind of becomes the killer as the movie goes on right yeah yeah that jibes with me right yeah in this movie too Right, Especially. and th- this that exactly, and I think that's one of the things that's really ingenious about this movie is if you look at you know if you take I think there's some th- couple of things wrong with Carol Clover's um, whole thesis about it, or at least yeah. the parts of it that I read, but the kind of change into her being the killer happens really fast in this yes. movie. Yeah, oh, like yeah. we were saying with the meat tenderizer. I mean, I think that's just in the first twenty minutes. The line. Yeah, and she becomes the killer after that, and I think. It's interesting. This movie is really interesting for that. And I think, so we're going to get into this a little later in kind of, is this a horror movie? But I'll, I'll start to bring it up now a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've had this idea about, it's a horror movie when we don't empathize with our murderer, generally. And in the foreground is our victim. So horror movies are very victim-centric. And the killers and the the problems are kind of this like out here force. So and it works in this movie because right, the killers are all in these masks and they're yeah. different and they're not people and they're we other... can't identify with them and we can't see them and we can't feel them because if we could feel and identify with them, then we would also be bad guys. Yeah. But then Aaron becomes the killer and they take their masks off. Yeah. And there's even that point where... Um, it's like a total shift in the power dynamic. Total shift in the happens. power dynamic. We start to relate with the, the killers. We learn they're hired killers. And there's that really, really poignant moment where Felix is complaining about them doing a bad job. And he's like, you see that guy? That dead guy? That's my brother. Like my literal brother. And I like him. And so and during all of these scenes, we don't see Aaron. And after yeah. that moment, we stop Aaron's character development. The only other thing we learn is why she can do that. We don't learn anything else about her motivation, her feelings, her thought, her movement. Mm. You know, and we're able to start identifying with these guys who have just become human. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, I yeah. I mean, I don't know that they become that human, though. Sure. Yeah, I mean, like, no, not more totally human, than human, they were but more human than they were. Well, yeah, you get to, like, know they, that they have a story. and They become know, they're yeah. literally human, where yeah. before they were just dudes in masks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I don't think dudes in masks are necessarily human. No, I mean, I guess this scene kind of helps me just think even more that, that she is super competent and they're just bumbling. Totally. Yeah. You know? Cause well, but they're also fairly competent, right? At least, like, 
the military dudes are. Yeah, I, I suppose. I guess like this is probably their first time. Like doing like a mass murder. This is my first murder. (laughs) Murder for hire. I definitely was curious where you find those types of mercenaries or something like Soldier Fortune magazine, bro. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, okay. Well, the HBO series Barry has talked about (laughs) the transition (laughs) a bit. That's true. I'm just like, okay, so you haters national. No one of these hired killers has gotten paid yet, and who (laughs) does this on? Right? On, yeah, I'm on hoping a promise. A yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess their family is really wealthy. Yeah. But yeah, they're going to take the risk. I don't, I don't care. Like, well, yeah, I mean, he just threw away, what, like 40 million or something? Like, that's a lot of money just to, like, say you'll give someone. Mm-hmm. I don't even. Was it even that much? Because he was talking about like five hundred thousand for someone. Was it? Was yeah. it half a million each? I thought it was. Uh, maybe I'm mixing it was up. Half a million. Other I think you're thinking movies. Of something else. Yeah, the one guy was going to get his brother's share. I think right. they were each getting two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and then he's like, "You can get both of it. That's a half million." Yeah, yeah one get. He was like, "You'll get five hundred thousand. You'll get three hundred thousand. Blah blah blah." It's not even like half a million each. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. Not, it. I mean, it was very seems desperate. Like not enough. It was very desperate, which <laughs> yeah. leads to like kind of the amateurish. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, and that's an interesting thing that, an interesting direction to take those characters too, right? Because they're like most horror movies, they are initially seen as this like hyper competent, like outside unstoppable force. Uh And then three quarters of the way through the movie, it's like, oh wait, no, we're just fuck ups. (laughs) We're just dudes that haven't gotten paid. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They need to get paid. Is there like a weird family murdering mercenary union? Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. I hope there is. I, there That's got to be. be SEIU, right? There I'm going to file yeah. a grievance. Yeah, seriously. I would file a grievance with that union. Oh, I mean, absolutely. you know, unironically, everyone should be unionized. So yes. let's make a union for hitmen. I think there's also been a lot of hay made in the comic book world about like, you know, this is the union for hitmen. <laughs> right? <laughs> like there's got, there's a, there's several dozen comic books. It's true. That come to mind about that. Deadly class. Yeah. Wanted. It's a thing. It's a thing. So being the history nerd that I am, I did a lot of research on the history of the final girl and kind of the evolution of the final girl and how uh, Aaron's character kind of fits into all of that. So the first final girl, even though it wasn't really named until 1992, exists in this kind of continuum of horror cinema. You can make a case that kind of the first final girl is Lila Crane in Psycho, but she has to be saved by someone else. And it she there's a couple of other things about her character that kind of don't fit. She's like the proto-final girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's like the beginning of that idea, exactly. And then you kind of get to, you have to wait a little while, but when you start getting the like beginning of like modern horror cinema in the 70s, you have a pair of final girls that mm. can be seen as the first ones and they are uh jess bradford in black christmas and sally hardesty in the texas chainsaw massacre both of which from 1974 so it's really really interesting when you compare the two of them because jess bradford's character breaks a lot of rules that are later established for example she's resourceful similar to the way that Aaron is resourceful. She's sexually active. In fact, like part of the plot line of Black Christmas is her thinking about getting an abortion. Hmm. And she survives through her own cunning. Contrast that with Sally in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, who kind of exemplifies a lot of the more negative things that come to pass to be identified with the final girl, where she's like, you know, young and blonde and 
and you know terrorized and powerless and she's escaped by happenstance and that's probably why black christmas is one of your favorite movies right yeah i think so also it just is really great everyone should see black christmas yes one of my favorite horror movies of all times (laughs) yeah they're remaking it and i don't know how i feel about that i'm really disappointed that's very sad i wish they would stop doing that so after you get sally in 1974 you get the girl that really you know set this whole trend off with laurie strode in halloween 1978 jamie lee curtis she is she's like sets the mold she sets the archetype she sets the archetype for literally every other movie that follows it for the next like you know 10 years or yeah. more and i would argue the reason that she gets to be the archetype from the final girl rather than black christmas is because right she is pure she is a virginal right it's wrapped up in that other part of invite her boyfriend in and so that's the validity of uh, Christian motivation in horror right, right. because uh, the final girl is also wrapped up in the other trope with the slasher genre which is death by sex right and that's like well, the rule it's like they talk about that in Scream and they talk about that in a lot of other right. meta it's, horror it's movies it's not death by sex it's death by sin right specifically sin but like mostly sex sure that's the threshold but or it's, maybe it's some sin. partying but always it's associated with sex right? yeah either if they're yeah. not fucking they're like the girl takes her top off and gets murdered like, uh-huh. yeah. Or the girl thinks about going to her boyfriend's house and sneaks out and gets murdered. Yeah. It's like death okay. by transgression. And um, you were talking a little bit earlier about sort of these ideas about divine masculine and divine feminine, well, right? And yeah, how that and so kind of I, relates to this. I brought this up in a few podcasts. So, right, our idea of like binary gender is very outdated and very boring. Um, and so, but we still kind of want a way to talk about these attributes that we have historically associated with gender. And so in a lot of traditions, there's this thought about the divine masculine, the divine feminine. So we can also think about this as just like feminine and masculine archetypes and what those mean and what they do. And so there's an idea that, right, everyone has a soul is... (laughs) A good ubiquitous idea, but mm, in this everyone you say everyone mm. except you, but in this What's idea, like? <laughs> it's very it's almost standard that your soul is the opposite gender of your human body, oh. and that is how you are able to move in between different kind of our idea of gendered behavior, and so the masculine divine is the one that takes action. And the masculine or the divine feminine is the one that receives action. So if you put that in the context of horror movies and the idea that our characters become more masculine and just, you know, let's make it feel better and say they become more divinely masculine, they stop becoming passive receivers. Passive receivers and begin to be the action takers and the givers. And they also stop being like less screamy spotlighty, which is um, this idea of feminine, which is like, I'm a creator, I'm beautiful, I have things to look at, and I, you know, have space. So the metaphor I like is if you think about um, like a a high school dance. Mm -hmm. So everyone on the dance floor is embodying feminism. And so, or the divine feminine, because they're all dancing, they're having a good time, they're enjoying things, they're being looked at, they're being consumed. And everyone against the wall is embodying the divine masculine, because they're like, I don't want to participate, I want to watch, I want to, you know, 
have ominous power over this. I want to be separate and distant and, you know, and have this space for these activities that are happening. And so I think this works in horror too, especially if we're going with um, this idea of transcending these actions. And so we're transcending into away from flailing and running around and being murdered and into power and standing and observing and collection. Sure. I'm here for that. I think that that is a really interesting point. And I think that um, horror in that context is something that should be considered. I think it also, uh, I don't know if I follow entirely about the whole idea, I think. I think it's still kind of binary in my brain. It's So it it's a binary idea. Yeah. But within a person. So it's not a gender reflective thing. It's sure. an attitude shift fair enough which, I'll take, which I'll take doesn't that. have to reflect like doesn't have to reflect gender or sex it doesn't have to reflect gender or separation yeah, yeah, i think yeah, that's I the it. difference I get it, I get it, I get it. it's not binary because there's no separation it's yeah. a fluid transition in and out it's of spectrum. behavior it's a spectrum interesting which is i think where we're yeah all are now mm-hmm. in what? 2019 yeah what? What does that make the viewer, though, in in that analysis? I think, Antiquated. Well, I, think, <laughs> I think both in that analysis and in Carol Clover's um, yeah. point, the mu- the viewer is inherently masculine, right? I guess so because um, especially with you know the most most characters, especially in horror movies, especially in slasher movies, heck of male gaze, hell of male gaze, yeah. right? Like we're talking like. The enti- the entire like how many horror movies can you think of slasher movies specifically can you think of where there is a scene where there is a half naked woman being looked at through a keyhole through a window <laughs> like through a uh, from afar I'm just gonna go by ahead and say all of them like literally fuck off all of them there's a good amount yeah <laughs> so yeah the viewer and the camera are inherently male masculine so, so if we think of the the viewer and the camera as inherently male let's let's use that binary term let's sure. say inherently uh, male. You use masculine and feminine i think it's more no no i'm this is gonna work with my point and i'm really excited okay <laughs> so if we're saying that the viewer comes into it being inherently male yep and then they watch this movie and this movie forces them to transgress into the defined feminine it opens up the opportunity for transgression and for fluidity Sure, I, yeah, I, I, that's that a great tracks. point. I'd also think that this, dis- in the context of this discussion, thinking about a movie that we watched recently, Alien, and how m- much more transgressive that movie is, right? Because uh-huh. Ripley is inherently has inherently masculine characteristics. She, even though they like take you know great pains to depict her half naked a lot of the time, not it's not sexy. it's not in a sexual way. It's not in a male gaze way. No, it's it's, in a, it's an alien gaze. Exactly <laughs> right. And so, getting back to like what um, uh, what Dan O'Bannon was talking about when he wrote that movie, that he wanted to you know scare male viewers with traditionally female fears. Like this is you know very it all scans oh. within that whole context, yeah, right? Within the totally. context of like the final girl. So uh, horror movies are really just about empathy. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. So yeah, pay me the same absolutely. wage as you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean you're getting fifty-two cents to every dollar that I get. That's just the way the horror Patreon movie money said. Works. Pay me the same. <laughs> horror movie said no such thing. That's true. 
Um, Someday they will. I don't know. But, <laughs> but you know, in the context of this whole, like, uh, the camera being the male gaze and whatnot, and the, you know, Laurie Strode specifically surviving because she has moral restraint and, like, how that kind of propagates this whole death by transgression, death by sin trope that is so artfully explained in Scream. It's interesting when uh, when Carpenter is asked that question about Halloween, he said that he wasn't trying to make a film that inherently appeared in message. He was saying that while Laurie's peers were being killed, they weren't being killed because they were fucking. They were being killed because they weren't paying attention <laughs> because sex was a distraction. And so it could have been any distraction. It could have been like pinball playing Tetris really intensely or washing my hair. Is this, how the, is this how the incel movement got started? I, it sounds dangerously no one was close paying to an attention. incel. It's kind of, yeah. No, it's, it's, got just a, like, it's got a weird incel vibe to it, I, right? Oh, uh, no. I, I hate women because sex means I get murdered in a horror movie. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> oh my God, for I sure, that this. is some slash r slash incel yeah. shit. <laughs> but also, he also said but. about um, Michael Myers was killing because he was sexually repressed. Because he couldn't have sex. Hmm. And so that's why he was killing these girls. Hmm. So that's a little bit of prophetic because he said that in an interview in the late 70s in the context of what's happening right now. How many dudes in said R, you know, Reddit, subreddit, whatever, do you think read that interview and really, really related to it? I (laughs) think a non-zero amount. Oh, shoot. I was just talking about this the other day, actually, with um, a friend of mine, and we were talking about the Joker movie. Uh-huh. And we were both kind of like, you know what? In this day, in this age, with all the stuff that happens, I don't really want to hear another story about why a white male got alienated. <laughs> yup. And I did think about slasher movies because that is kind of like, oh, something bad happened to them. And, yeah. you know, we I have had sympathy for them in the past, but now I'm kind of like, you know what? I kind of don't give a fuck. Cry me a river. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe just not Michael Myers. Maybe not Michael Myers. Definitely not Michael yeah. Myers. But like getting back to your point about the Joker, like it's really easy to get into a moral panic about that movie. Like I think sure. when it premiered at Toronto, all the uh, I film bet. critics I follow on Twitter were, you know, all up in arms about it. There was all they all had reactions to it. They all had yeah. fucking hot takes on it. And it ranged from this is fine to like, oh, my God, it's about incels. Oh, my God, it's about this. <laughs> yeah. I, this is and like creating a general genuine moral panic like every yeah, other fucking controversial horror movie that has ever been put out. Oh. And I think that I think my personal take is really similar to yours because yeah. it's like it's not so much that I think that it's like a moral panic and it's going to, you know, engender people to commit mass murder or whatever the fuck. Yeah, I just don't care anymore. It's, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah, give a don't fuck know. about that story. Like, <laughs> yeah. I am not an angsty 15-year-old. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I don't resonate with that fucking story. And, like, Why I don't is, need yeah. to hear about, like, how, like, um, you know, whatever the fucking Joker's name is this time around, like, loses his mind and becomes the fucking Joker. The Joker is not interesting for the story of how he became the Joker. He's interesting because he is the Joker. In the same way that Michael Myers is not interesting because of the way he became Michael Myers. He's interesting because he is Michael Myers. Jack Nicholson's Joker forever. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only Batman movie I like. The same. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I mean, yeah, why does that story need to be told again? Yeah, like, who gives a fuck? It's no like, one cares. Retelling, it's like, it's completely missing the point, I think. Pull like, out your comic book, read it on your own time. Yeah, Not well, even that, like, I can't think of any, like, actual Joker origin story comic that's book. That's the point. There isn't one, like... Oh. Because it doesn't fucking it matter. it doesn't matter. It's DC, they're not doing characters, they're just doing, like... Broad strokes. Cartoons. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. what Grant Morrison's whole fucking book is about, is that, like, it's all about, you know, playing with archetypes and playing with mm-hmm. gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. the Joker's not interesting because he's, you know, this broken man, every man who let's just remake the king of comedy and call it a different movie. He's interesting because he exists in the exact opposite way that Batman exists. Yeah. Right. Um, we're going also, really far. Here, <laughs> but... I know, I know. Anyway, but anyway, maybe Michael Myers an incel, and that makes me angry. Yeah, Michael Myers is a bit of an incel, and so that's <laughs> that's that. Um, and you know, from like happy it's... anniversary Halloween. Yay! <laughs> I mean, the guy in this movie, Crispin, he seems well. He's not an incel, but he he's not not an incel. He's not not. He's an like incel. the liberal version of an incel. Yeah, he's <laughs> so definitely someone who feels like the he... ukulele guy. He's ukulele guy. Yeah, he hasn't gotten what he's entitled to in life. Incels yeah. transcend any sort of po- political uh, political agenda. alignment. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, it's also you actually hit on something really interesting just now and that is the ukulele guy is the <laughs> liberal version of an incel yeah like if incels are all like reactionaries yeah. then the ukulele guy is jeremiah li- sand jeremiah sand exactly yeah. they're proactive rapists i don't know like if incels are sad at themselves because they can't find um a meaningful relationship then the ukulele guy is the one flailing to consume women and consume their relationships so he doesn't have to feel. Yeah. And they're both incels. Yeah, they're both incels. <laughs> to finish the whole thought about Final Girls, though. <laughs> Wait, what? We went on, like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm here for it. Were we talking about Final Girls? We were. <laughs> we were talking about Halloween. We were oh, talking about shit. Laurie Strode. But it's really interesting that, like, even though Laurie Strode sets the bar and, you know, they kind of continue with the whole archetype that she sets uh, over and over and over again, it's kind of immediately starts to break down because in 1981, you get uh, Ginny Field in Friday the 13th Part 2, who survives by acting like Mrs. Voorhees and acting like Jason's mother, which kind of like calls into question whether being like a final girl is positive, right? So like whether that's a positive association, if you like have to become the have to become evil to survive, is that a good thing? We all become <laughs> our mothers. Yeah, right. Or you become your killer's mother in this instance. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's how. Oh, yeah. But, have you met my mom? mom? Yeah, no shit. Mom, I love you. Right. My mom's not listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> my mom's in bed. Yeah. Lizzie's mom subscribed. Oh, hi, Lizzie's mom. Hi, Lizzie's mom. <laughs> Thank you. The and then right after that, you get 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street and Nancy fucking Thompson. Nancy, <laughs> she's my favorite. Nancy's great. She gets the most beautiful shock of white in her hair too. She does of all of them. Hers so, is the most beautiful. Nancy begins to kind of introduce this whole idea of bring or not introduce it she brings it back because Jess um Jess Bradford introduced it in uh Black Christmas and that is surviving by outwitting her killer 
Yeah. Like she doesn't survive by happenstance. She doesn't have to be rescued. She's not a damsel. She straight up sets a trap for Freddy and coaxes him into it and fucking murders him. I'm really restraining myself, but we're just going to watch it later. So I'm just going to hold on to all my feefies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Hold on to all of your feelings about Nancy I because we'll do a Nancy. double Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street 3. I am a Nancy. What about two? Two's fine, but three is the best. Two is ridiculous. Have you seen two? I've never seen any. Oh, uh, two is the uh, gay fantasy. Oh, I thought so. Yeah. Sweet. It's really fun. Yeah, so. but it makes but it has nothing to do with the franchise. Yeah. It's just oh, like fun. a lot of like a lot of uh, horror movies are like that, right? Like where no, a lot of horror franchises, a lot of slasher franchises, the second movie is the best movie of the series, but in Nightmare on Elm Street, the third one's the best one. Well, I think the best Friday the Thirteenth is the final chapter. No, it, the second boring. one's good, but the final chapter is the best. That's I boring. think. Were you going to say that uh, the second movie in a lot of horror franchises actually wasn't going to be part of the franchise? Because, yes. Yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, I immediately thought of Troll 2. Yeah. Which has oh. nothing to do with the first Troll movie. Which is also, also why the second one's goblins, always the best. Not lost, trolls. Right? And there's also the like the Exorcist 2 where like yeah. the Exorcist 2 is fucking terrible and like nobody gives a shit about it. But the Exorcist 3 Legion fucking rules. The season of the witch? The second or the third one? The third. The third. Unfortunately, there was no Troll 3. There was no Troll 3. <laughs> We can. I hope, wish hope there was definitely day. a Leprechaun three. I guess there was Best Worst Movie, which is kind of Troll three. It's almost Troll three, right? Yeah. Was there a The Dentist two? I love Troll two. <laughs> Troll two is my favorite. So after you get Nancy Thompson, you get Sydney Prescott. Is the next sort of like another Wes Craven girl? Another Wes Craven girl because mm-hmm. he knows Wes what Craven, he's doing. Wes Craven. I will give you this: if John, if John Carpenter set the rules, Wes Craven played with the rules the best. Because Nancy Thompson challenges that, R. and then Sydney Prescott is a hundred percent a like postmodern final girl because she survives after having sex. Well, and a one hundred percent postmodern final girl because she survives after having sex, and she's just not going to put up with it. She's not going to put up with it, and she's also somebody that like this is also you know just kind of generally in the context of Scream itself, but also she knows the tropes that are associated with her character, right. and she you know, is consciously challenging them. And so we get to Erin, and Erin is doing this too. She is challenging all her tropes. Mm -hmm. She's challenging all of the pitfalls. Mm -hmm. She's not being a damsel. She's not being ridiculous. She is embodying competency. Absolutely. Take embodying competency, and like we talked about earlier, she fully reverses the dynamic earlier. Whereas Sydney, she, you know, puts on the ghost face mask, like literally becomes the killer, in like the most like ham-fisted way at the in the last like 15 minutes of the movie Aaron in your next you know does that 20 minutes in so if we can think of the divine masculine and the divine feminine as the difference between creating and receiving or acting versus allowing Aaron moves into acting significantly quicker yep and she's not watching and she's not waiting and she's not observing and she's not calculating she, like Nancy does cuz Nancy in Friday the 13th, she creates a whole elaborate plan, which takes like two days to design and execute. And and Aaron does no allowing. She ends the allowing and moves directly into action. And I think this is our modern final girl. Yeah. She's definitely the most poignant expression of the final girl in mod. I mean, like you can point to a couple other ones, like I forget the main character's name and it follows. It follows is a really interesting kind of take on the whole yeah. tropes of, I think it follows 
is a better take on the death by sex trope. It's as a very to a Daniel Close take on death yeah. by sex. I mean, it's Jay, by the way. Oh, Jay, and, totally. Yeah. I mean, it just also kind of relates back to the idea of being evil to right? survive because you know she makes that choice that she makes in the end to pass a- it along. Absolutely. Right. right? I mean, well, it follows us probably another episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> absolutely. But I think that kind of wraps up what I had to say about your next. Is there anything that we miss? Final thoughts, perchance? Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, so I one of the things I look at this movie in contrast to is the Purge movies. And I think this movie came first, if I remember correctly. But it uses the same imagery with the masks. And the thing that I think that this movie got better than the purge is it is it's so methodical right those murderers are there to do a job they are working um and that's a lot scarier to me than just like trying to hide overnight and wait it out yeah i think the purge was stupid i also think the purge was stupid (laughs) but um but so the so i i think part of the reason i thought the purge was stupid was because i saw this movie first and I was oh. like, oh, this movie is really good. Oh, you kind of did the same thing, but not as good. And I don't like it. Yeah. Um, the first Purge is stupid and they get better. That's The Purge <laughs> is one of the only ones. I The quick point about The Purge, I think, is one of the only horror franchises where the movies get better the later that they are. Sure, yeah, because they get very political, that, which yeah. is nice. Oh, that's good. Um, the other thing I really liked about this movie that I, I had thought about and did want to point out is they work really well with the technology because it is very a time and a place, right? There's a CD changer. They have razor phones. They, like, you know, it's and they do a really good job of dealing with technology. And, yep. and that's the thing we have to struggle with now, right? Like in Hush, you close the circuit breaker and... FaceTime wasn't on wireless yet. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, but now... It is. Uh, or it, yeah, now it is. Now or it on is. cellular. Well, and the same the... thing in this movie, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. they dealt with the sounds, with the CD changer, and they, they didn't shy away from them because a lot of movies are trying to make themselves timeless by not showing any technology. Yeah. And I appreciate that they just owned it and dealt with it quickly and moved on. Yeah. Well, yeah, and dealt with it explicitly, right? They were like, oh, yes, we are acknowledging this problem, they just bought a jammer. Forget about it. Okay, murderer. <laughs> locate in a time and place. It's fine. It's about when it was created just as much as by who. And One of the things, however, one of the problems that you might come across as a viewer is there is the scene in the end in the basement when she's using the camera flash to mm-hmm. um, <laughs> distract someone. I was like, yeah. what is happening? <laughs> I would not go near that. Yeah, I mean, it's really smart. And I guess yeah, you do have a camera it. flash on your on your cell phone, but who has a f- camera? You yeah, know? not anymore. Yeah, you could place for I sure. Want a, yeah. I want a horror movie that like actively uses smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like not where like, not something as trite like that Stephen King book where like it's about killer cell phones. But like, I want a movie where they are like actively solving problems using the fact that they have a fucking smartphone. I want that, but I also want the murderer to be calling from one of those those spammer call generator numbers. So oh, yeah, yeah. No, I like this. So every like time this he lot. calls you, it's a different number from your area code. Yeah, yeah, yeah So yeah. you just keep answering it because <laughs> you have a job interview in the morning and yeah. you don't know. 
you're looking for a job and you have to answer every call. <laughs> I don't know. That, that's that's a pretty short movie for me. I'm just Very like, scary. Oh, decline. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Uh huh. No one's calling me from my area code. Thank you very much. The area code that I have on my cell phone, which I never lived in. Thanks, AT and T. Yay. Anyways, so uh, is this a horror movie, you guys? Yeah. You guys go first. I have a lot to say. Uh, it is. It is. It's a horror movie because it's kind of a meta horror movie, like Jazz said. It's without actually being one, but it's like uh, obviously this person has watched a lot of home invasion movies and knows mm-hmm. everything that she would do instead and yep. finally gets the chance to act out um her scenarios yeah totally it's definitely a horror movie that kind of turns it on its ear you know like we talked about mm-hmm. the final girl is the final girl sort of in that like she's kind of the killer in the movie yep you know it, yeah. it's it's interesting for her to be both but yeah it, i mean it's scary like <laughs> I, I can't say I've never thought about like going out to some secluded area or something, you know, going out to a family event and then who the fuck knows who's going to show up, you know, like who the fuck knows what's going to happen again, as we've established, I am quite paranoid, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, shit's scary, man. Yeah. Especially if you're used to living in the city, y'all city folk are scary easily. I'm I mean, afraid of the dark. That's true. I'm not afraid of the dark, but I am afraid of people with machetes and crossbows that could just pop out of the woods. Oh, that's just your neighbor, man. Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, I think this is absolutely a horror movie. I agree with the two of you. Home Invasion and Slasher are two of the most like tried and true horror genres to the you know points that I've made in other shows that home invasion somebody and like your own fucking paranoia somebody breaking into your house and murdering you is like one of the things one of the most universal fears and so this movie deals with that and so yeah 100 percent horror movie jazz what do you have to say so i've been using this segment to really kind of flesh out like what my personal thesis parameters rubric for a horror movie is and i got to thinking Um, So I've been talking a lot about power struggles. Mm -hmm. And so in horror movies, there is a true imbalance of power where one person is always in total power, even if that's for a moment. Um, But there's no sharing of power. There's no stalemates, right? There's no Jedi sword fights. There's always one person in power or the other person in power. And then from this movie, I started really thinking about the escalation of where violence becomes normalcy. And so in the beginning, right, and we don't get this with Aaron, which is really interesting. So in the beginning, everyone's like, oh, violence is scary and I don't want to interface and I'm going to allow things to happen to me while, you know, allow violence to happen to me because I am not violent. And then through self-defense, you change your role into acting. And I think she changes her role so well and so efficiently that, like you said, James, I think she becomes she becomes the villain. Um, And then the other thing about uh, in horror movies, we focus on the story of the victim and the antagonist is very important, but we don't focus on their story. We get their story in info dubs and snippets and we get this with um, the two brothers too, right? Everything we learn about them is in wide, broad strokes in conversations with the hitmen, you know, and but the same thing with Aaron too, right? We only get big info dumps on her. So as she kind of becomes the villain... 
you know, we haven't empathized with her too much either, other than watching her have a struggle. But now we've watched the other guys have a struggle. So I think it's a really fun forwards backwards horror movie. And I don't want to call it a meta horror movie. I think it's the next thing. I think this movie is the birth of the genre horror movie, which we have been watching for the last three years. Hmm. Ari Oster is the master of the genre horror movie. You know, a movie that mixes all the tropes together. You're not really sure. Is it a slasher film? Is it a home invasion film? Is it a this? Is it a that? It's all of them. And it hits all the tropes and and shows you more and goes further and really pushes that wall. And hmm. I think this might have been the very first genre horror movie. Yeah, I think another way of putting that would be like an aesthetic horror movie, right? Sure, yeah. Like an aesthetic, like this is a horror movie your next is specifically a horror movie that's driven by the aesthetics of the sh- of the slasher genre and you know and the home invasion genre whereas you know um mandy is a horror movie that's driven by the aesthetics of a of the rape revenge genre and also heavy metal albums and so it remixes it in that way and hereditary is a horror movie that's driven by the aesthetics of a possession movie and also like occult aesthetics and so where it's blending the aesthetics to create something that's greater than the sum of its parts i wonder if we're coming into a new golden age of horror i, mean, oh, I think we, we absolutely are, 100%. we're there and so i think there is an interesting thing happening with the movement of aesthetic horror i guess if that's if that's what it is called Um, And I think it's alienating a lot of people who used to like horror and maybe Mm. don't know how to watch film because aesthetic horror films are becoming films. The norm. They're not easy. I mean, they are easy popcorn eating, watching fun, but they're not scream, jump in your seat, take a day, cover your eyes, be scared. You know, you have to think about them. You have to look at them. You have to consider them like cinema. Like contrast... um, what we were talking about earlier, don't breathe with a movie like The Witch. Yes. Right. Yeah, don't yeah. breathe like boring. The Witch, like high tense cinema, B- go to the bathroom and you will miss things. Yeah. I read a article last last night or the night before or something about Jalo movies. Mm-hmm. And I forget which one exactly they were talking about, but they were also kind of referencing other movies and they were saying that like if Carnival of Souls had been released in Europe it would have been considered an art movie Mm -hmm. and if whatever particular giallo movie please say the bird with crystal plumage (laughs) no I don't I don't know it would have been like an early 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 one yeah that Um, one (laughs) (laughs) would have been released in the United States it would have been like like a slasher film kind of yeah um, oh yeah america thinks giallo is slasher yeah and, but i mean it, not not incorrectly but no, no it, it is and it's just it's an exploitation movie of sorts and like yep. but i think they really got to something when they were talking about how carnival of souls would have been an art movie yeah. somewhere yeah. else because i think a lot of horror movies now are following that mm-hmm. in that like they are just cinema they are just works of art but they are using horror fashionings to tell their story and we talk about that plenty. Yeah. Yeah, no shit, right? Like, it's totally like something that we harp on all the fucking time. <laughs> and, and it's yeah. the reason things like Guillermo del Toro gets lumped in with horror, even though he's not. Yeah, it's he's, kind of spooky. He's the furthest thing from horror I've ever seen. 
Not the furthest. Thing. Not the furthest. Oh. But love. Actually. I was like, have you seen Paddington? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Guillermo del Toro is not a, a horror filmmaker. He makes uncomfortable movies that are dark and stressful. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're horror films. And and there's a big conversation around Jordan Peele's movies, and everyone's like, oh, look at these great horror. And I'm like, I don't know if they are. Yeah. You know, I really I need to think about it some yeah. more. I and my gut says they're not, but I'm willing to think about them some more. But yeah. um, and it, it's because people are willing to say that's scary. It's horror, and that's not enough. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super yeah. real. I think that to your point about Giallo, Giallo is one of those things where without that sort of atmospheric aesthetic trappings, they are just super by the numbers fucking murder movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're yeah. not that different no. from the like sleepaway camp or something any any fucking thriller where there's a murderer because like in giallo there's often a focus on the intrepid investigator right well they're based off of like these weird noir murder mystery paperbacks yeah that's that's what they're from yeah totally and and so they are yeah if you will so at their heart they they are like a murder mystery thriller but they're they're like right well also like the uh like these movies that we've been talking about like Hereditary, Mandy, Midsommar, The Witch, they are elevated by their commitment to their aesthetic. And they're elevated by the use, the visual language that they use. In Giallo, it's, you know, the commitment to using lurid colors and, like, the focus on, like, you know, the killer is always wearing, like, black leather gloves and, like, the, like, way they use the camera and in, you know, Mandy, it's the fact that, you know, it's a focus on color again, and it's the commitment to, like, psychedelic tropes, and it's the commitment to heavy metal tropes. Well, and I just think all of the atmospheric pieces in America right now are commitment to genre tropes, yep. you know, and staying staying in their lane with them, but also mixing everything in their lane. Yep. So whereas, like, The Witch, like, it's a, you know, a... a like a period fiction. piece yeah, it's historical totally. fiction it's a cult fiction it's you know satanism it's satanic panic you know and so they blend all of those things that would have normally been separate themes of movies into mm-hmm. one and i think all of these aesthetic movies are blending everything in their genre with yep and that is what we're getting now and that is what this movie is so who's this movie for not everyone <laughs> No, not everyone. I don't think it's for everyone. I think, I think that, it's. I, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> I think. This, now neither of you go. No, no. Right. James Baker, go. James Baker, go. Shit. I don't know. I think this movie is for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's fucking rad. Yeah. I think that this movie, again, like, doesn't overstay its welcome. You know, no one's gonna be like bored by this movie. It is horror, I, but it's also not like super, super gratuitous gore or anything. You know, there's a bit like obviously her throat, you know, being just split wide open by that uh, that wire. That's a little gnarly, but like, a bit. but you know when to close your eyes. Yeah, exactly. They give you plenty of warning, and you know exactly when you need to close your eyes. Totally. Yeah, I I think this movie is for people. I mean, obviously, it's for people who enjoy horror movies, but people who just want something slightly different, like horror turned slightly on its ear. You know, um, it it's for people who just love the idea of a final girl but like kind of want more of it you know want it much earlier on like this is the final girl just fucking taking charge from very early on and it, and that's a fun movie like i i don't know it's it's great i really enjoyed it and i think that everyone should watch it 
Yeah. Uh, I think it is for everyone, too. <laughs> I I don't know why, but I think home invasion movies are just nice date movies. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, nothing gets me in wrong. the mood more than yeah. worrying about being murdered. Because it's got... Simply safe. Sponsor us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, like, a nice energy. The plot's really good. I don't think it's too terribly complicated or anything. I think you could just watch it and appreciate it. There's squealy moments. It's like if you watch Hush and you're ready for a little bit more, <laughs> maybe you're next. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. You're yeah. next. Maybe you're next. Ooh, you're next. I think this movie, I, I agree mostly with you guys that like this movie is for most people. I think it's, you should do your homework a little bit maybe <laughs> before you watch this movie because you'll like it a little bit more, right? I think you'll, most people, if you want to watch a slasher movie, it's a fucking great slasher movie, but you'll get a little bit more out of it if you kind of, you know, see the tropes and see the way that they're toying with the genre. I see what you're saying. And that, yeah, that, that swings me a little further into tolerating it for everyone. In my mind, this movie is for the novice and the expert horror movie watcher because the experts are going to be really excited on how this movie gets you know breaks all the rules and gets really bonkers and does all this really fun stuff and we can see all the parallels between all of the final girls we can put Aaron in our rating system of you know where <laughs> how much we like her as a final girl and we can feel really disrupted by the genre and I feel like it's for novice people, like you were saying, it's a date movie. You know, mm-hmm. people who don't know what to expect of horror, they're not going to get frustrated because she doesn't run upstairs. They're going to be really validated by this character who's doing all the things they want her to do. But I think the people in the middle, maybe like my big brother, who I grew up watching horror movies with, and he's 10 years older than me. And so he grew up in the era of Sleepaway Camp and Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser. And I think if he watches this movie, he's going to just be kind of frustrated because it breaks too many rules for him, maybe for no reason. And unless you do your homework and understand what those reasons are and understand that the movies you grew up watching, you know, have become an institution and you can't just have them stay the same forever. Yeah. I think you're going to be upset and I think you're going to be frustrated at like why Aaron is so tough and you're not going to believe it. And you're going to leave this movie feeling like it was, you know, a blasphemy on final girl horror. And, and so if I'm hoping, um, if you've listened to this podcast and you were someone who was in the middle, go back and watch it again with your new information and, you know, try again and, and, you know, come at us with whatever you feel. I have one final question though. What kind of survivalist camp did she grow in? Up into, you know, the one that we all should have. Because (laughs) I'm very familiar with like the dual survival type of survivalism. Like I can make a fire with these wet branches somehow, but not like like a I can make a door axe. It was a Y2K camp. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) (laughs) It was a prepper camp. That tracks. Yes. The the only survivalist camp I ever need is the one that Michael Scott went to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and with that, I think we're... Wait, hold on. What? I felt like I was way too earnest uh, in my who is this for. This movie is for anyone who 
ever wanted to see all of their family brutally murdered. Yay! You're right. You're right. Yeah. And that's a great place to end it. Thanks for listening to What's Wrong With Us. You can find us on all the things, which is mostly Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. Make sure to like, subscribe, write a review if you want. Legitimately, those things are so helpful. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash what's wrong pod. If you subscribe to us on Patreon, you get access to all of our episodes that we've ever made and also episodes in advance of everyone else. Um, additionally, you can find us on our website at what's wrong with us.xyz. There you can find a lot of kind of ancillary content about each episode and articles, transcripts. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at, at What's Wrong Pod. And thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. All right. Thanks, guys. It's really cute. Lizzie, do you want to see Baby Girl? Yeah. <laughs> it's a baby. <laughs> that's, how you, that's how you know I'm really not a Terminator. Right. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Babies. I'm only kind of a Terminator. No, I mean, not when it comes to You're a tiger. Yeah, I know. I definitely yeah. know you're not a Terminator, right? Uh, the uh, I, I love the bit, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>